As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, This Is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Today's podcast is brought to you courtesy of Racing RVs. We realize that not everyone is in the market for a new, new or used RV, but if and when that day comes, support the people that support sportsman drag racing. That's Racing RVs. In addition, today's podcast is presented by FlowFast. Are you tired of replacing cheap plastic fuel drum pumps that leak and break? FlowFast is the answer. FlowFast pumps are available through Luke Bogacki Motorsports. Welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. Introducing your hosts, the multi-time world champion, cool hand Luke Bogacki. And the golden voice of drag racing, Big Jed, Jared Pennington. Hello everyone and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand, Luke Bogacki. Thank you for finding us wherever you find your podcasts and allowing us to be a small part of your day. The Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast will be a weekly review of what's happening or what has happened in sportsman racing. Luke and I will be talking about all of the hottest topics, drivers, and events in racing today. Big Jed, uh, you all right over there, buddy? Luke, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm hurting. I'm hurting. I, I got to celebrate a national championship for my racing team uh, just a week ago, and last night that was all taken away from me by those Clemson Tigers. So it, it hurts, bud. Yeah, what, I, now keep in mind, I am probably one of the only 30-something males in America that doesn't really get that into football, <laughs> but I did, like, I, I get into playoff anything, right? I'm, I'm a sports fan, so I had every True. intention of, of watching this ball game last night, and I watched most of the first half, um, and being the night owl that I am, I, I fell asleep at halftime. I uh, I woke up about the middle of the third quarter, and I believe it was 17 to 7, and everything, Alabama, and everything that I had seen to that point just, it just had that feel like Alabama was kind of imposing their will, uh, running yes. it down their throats. It was just kind of an Alabama type of game for as little as I follow football, it looked like what they typically do. And, uh, and I turned it off and went to bed. And when I rolled over this morning, the first thing I did was click on the ESPN app to see Dabo Sweeney holding the trophy. And, and, and not only, like, was that surprising, but it was 35 to 31. Like, what the <laughs> hell happened after I went to bed? <laughs> well, uh, Alabama was imposing their will, led by 14 once, 10 a couple of times. But um, elite quarterback play is very difficult on Alabama and it was again last night uh, Deshaun Watson's amazing a uh, guy throws it where only his receivers can catch it and they do a heck of a job catching it and just Alabama just got outplayed but as simple as that no excuses 
Um, Clemson ran 99 plays, and uh, wow. I don't know if you know how many that means in football terms, but uh, that's a bunch of plays in a game, a bunch. <laughs> so uh, it just wore him down and couldn't stop him. He was uh, just like last year. Held him in check for a while, but um, he uh, got loose and got um, just on a roll, really, and just whipped him. That's all there was to it. Congratulations to the Clemson fans out there. Your team earned it and did a great job, and uh, proud of you guys, proud for you guys. Dabo's, uh, he played at Alabama, won a national championship there, coached at Alabama as an assistant. So he's Alabama at his core, and um, he's taken that and done a great job at Clemson. So well done. Now I'm just curious from a from a personal standpoint because uh, you your your ties run deep there. Like I'm a I'm an SIU fan, but that's a little bit different because like I don't if we made the field a 68, I would be fired up. Your expectations are a little bit different down there in the in Alabama. Um, yeah. Like what's this like? Like going to bed last night. Compare that to um, like going to bed Saturday night and realizing that. I didn't win the million this year. Okay, like, like, where does that stack up? Uh, it's, uh, you know, for me, I'm not that fan that yells at the TV and jumps up and down with every play, and I can watch it fairly mellow and, and you know, unbiased as you can be. But um, for the most part, for an Alabama fan, this is about as devastating as it gets. Most Alabama fans would probably rather not get there than to get there and lose and um you know here where we are we're spoiled our expectations are unrealistic and for the most part uh this is this is a day where most people just want to stay in bed um <laughs> going to work and you know the auburn fans and any other teams fans just waiting on you to lose and you finally do it and you know that's just sports and the the ribbon and all that that goes on the next day is pretty rough but uh, so it, it's it's fairly devastating. It's probably worse than worse than losing a million, especially if you get to the final of it, because you know you got something to fall back on and feel good about. This feels like the season was a waste. It really does, as un, as crazy as that sounds. Yeah, I wouldn't know, but I would assume if you did, did lose in the final of the million, it would be hard to be too awful upset about that. So. <laughs> yeah, I imagine so. So enough about that garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to bigger and better things. Football season's over. As our listeners can probably um, surmise, and, and most of you, if you're longtime listeners, know we're recording this on uh, on Tuesday afternoon, my uh, or Tuesday evening. My little man just walked in here with a little interruption. Hi, Gary. You want to close the door for me? Um, but, we're a little uh, earlier than normal. Yeah, we are a little bit earlier than normal. But I am uh, just completely um, turning the corner here. I am completely fired up for tonight because I, I am not much of a of a television watcher. And I'll try not. I know this is a drag racing podcast. Uh, when I do turn on the TV, it's usually sports and typically college basketball. But my wife and I got hooked on a series. I believe it's on NBC called this is us are you familiar with this jed i am not at all you need to be everybody needs to be (laughs) and today's a big day because season two starts tonight and i am clear in my schedule at nine o'clock we are going to be watching this is us and i would tell everybody if you haven't seen it to watch. it's the best show on tv it's the best show i've ever seen really but in saying that like season one was i guess in the fall and we were a little late to the party um, you need to watch like the 10 episodes of season one before you get into this year. I don't think it would make sense if you don't. Uh, ah. And it's uh, like we binge watched it. We watched 10 episodes in like three nights and we don't do that. Uh, <laughs> but no, this is us. Write it down. Um, you got to check it out. Very cool. Well, with, with my schedule and the need to go back and watch 10 episodes prior to getting caught up to this season, I uh, hate to say it, Luke, but I'm going to have to have you keep me informed of how This Is Us is going. I, I'll probably miss it. Maybe that wasn't the greatest selling point, but <laughs> no, it is good if you get an opportunity to check it out. What else is happening? And that's about it here. Nothing, uh, nothing super exciting. Um Shoot, I don't know, Ted. What uh, what is going on in the racing world? I know we've got some. Uh, s- the news that I know of is not good news. How about that? 
Yeah, it is not good news. Um, uh, you know, locally here in the Alabama racing scene, we lost a couple of legends within a day of one another. And, um, you know, nationally, one of those guys is obviously a legend and icon in our sport as well. Gary Moore, the um, owner-operator of Mobile Dragway and Atmore Dragway down the south end of the state, uh, he passed away um, earlier this week. And uh, as we talked about on the last podcast, um, well, before that, you know, Gary, uh, for those that don't know him again, uh, a legend here in our state, um, a guy that was running Lassiter Mountain Dragway in Birmingham here when I started in 1984 and went south and has done great things for the racing scene down there as well as the, just the Gulf Coast in general. So Gary's going to be missed, um, a friend to racers, a guy that uh, dedicated really his life to to the racing scene and doing all he can and did wonderful things for those folks down there. So uh, thoughts and prayers out to, to Gary's family and friends. And then, of course, George Howard, we talked about on the last podcast, uh, needing your thoughts and prayers there. And uh, unfortunately, uh, George passed a couple of days ago and um, very sad to, to see George go. Uh, he's obviously an icon and a legend. I mean, a guy that has done more for bracket racing than probably most 10 people combined and he's uh he's going to be missed uh, his his family is uh is devastated i know quite a few of them obviously jim howard uh, that that runs montgomery motorsports park and uh, i know his wife sherry and his um his brother's other brother and a lot of his family members and uh, my heart really goes out to those folks uh George is going to be missed by many. He he impacted a lot of a lot of lives in racing and of course outside of racing. Yeah, no doubt. You're um, like we kind of talked about last week. I know that this is probably more more personal or closer to home for you than it is for me. Um, just being the area that you live in and the amount of time that you spent racing um, with, with Gary and, and more specifically with with George. Um, but and I, I tweeted something to this effect um, the other day, but like George Howard didn't invent bracket racing by any means, but he pioneered bracket racing as we know it today, you know, or as you and I know it specifically sure. in, in the bigger dollar stuff. And just his, the, the, his vision, his courage, his ambition is really what made it possible for somebody like me uh, and really, you know, a group of people of my generation to basically make a living either racing or within the racing industry. Like, I don't think that was possible before George Howard, Not certainly not at the level that it is today. And, and he is uh, a Hall of Famer in, in terms of racing. And just beyond that, I mean, I didn't know George personally really real closely. I mean, I obviously raced with him for several years, uh, kind of as he was winding down his involvement in the B&M series and then eventually got out of the million. Um, but every, and the, the funny thing about it, looking back, like I was probably a, a pain in the neck to George for the most part. Like I was at that age where I just expected everything to be catered to my way of thinking. You know, I was, I was the guy that I kind of, I make fun of now, um, because I didn't have a whole lot of perspective. Um, so when I the discussions that I did have with George was me telling him how he was wrong you know when I was 20 um, so you know looking back that I feel pretty good about that but um, but the the one thing that I think will always stick in my mind above and beyond doing things in racing that were unprecedented and really largely still are to this day is just the way that that man handled himself and his business was just so professional and I think I, the word I saw bannered around on social media was was gentleman and I think that that really personifies George Howard the George Howard that I knew as much as anything well said he was uh, he was definitely all those things and um, you know again as I posted on Facebook he was a, a, a great father a great husband a son a brother race promoter friend George was all those things and um, uh, he impacted a lot of lives and he'll certainly be missed and uh, again thoughts and prayers out to uh, to all affected by his loss um, so you know hate to hate to roll right out of that into 
into race talk, but that's what we're here for. And uh, actually, George would expect that out of us. So yeah, uh, let's sure talk a little bit wants. about it is. Let's talk a little bit about uh, what little bit of racing there was done recently, and that was uh, Brad Pluard's practice tree race. That's not racing. Uh, man, that was a. <laughs> well, you're right, but it was. Uh, it was really cool, really another great event by Brad, and um, heck of a turnout. Uh, had uh, I believe a little over 300 entries in his practice tree race, paying $10,000 to win. So that was pretty cool. I saw that. That is incredible. I, I, uh, I don't know. I, it's been several years since I've been to a practice tree quote race. Like they just never were particularly appealing to me. Nothing against Brad and what he's doing, but I, you, you were there. Like this was a pretty cool deal, no? Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. Um, you know, he does a great job. It's a great venue uh, up in Coleman, really nice place, Camp Meadowbrook. Um, he's, you know, he feeds you pizza and cookies and soft drinks and water and, you know, had a lot of things going on there, uh, opportunities for you to win. And then, you know, we got the big $10,000 to win practice tree race. So um, I did not fare well. Uh, I bowed out in the third round after hitting the the practice tree fairly well for a little while don't know what happened fell apart just couldn't get it back and couldn't pull enough out to to make myself decent and got whipped up on um but um uh, skirt you know a name that we we talked about quite often or, or, or talked about a lot here early in the podcast but uh justin vickers got it done and uh collected a ten thousand dollar check um so the money went to ohio and a really good time, really good turnout. Yeah, I've got a feeling that that, that might be like a theme for 2017. Like I, uh, I, I think not to give ourselves too much credit, but our little, um, our little uh, all-state debate. Those those Ohio guys, like basically everybody except Alabama, might have a little chip on their shoulder for uh, for 2017. So I think it meant a little bit more to those guys <laughs> to uh, to come into your neck of the woods and uh, and leave with that money. What do you think? Yeah, it did. Uh, Cody Harger come in, guns a-blazing, and uh, he, he got up on me pretty good and uh, brought Johnny Ezell, which I didn't, I wasn't ready to face yet, so that, that was a little bit difficult for me, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't definitely don't want to get on Johnny because I don't want him getting on me, but, um, you know, my 11-year-old my did lay him down a triple zero first round and, uh, and hadn't sent him to the buyback window, so... <laughs> Uh, that was that was fun to watch, and I I was looking for Cody. I stood up looking for him, uh, giving him a little roll tide and all that, and couldn't find his table. And when I saw him next, I said, "I was looking for you." He said, "I know. I had a pizza box covering my face where you couldn't see me." So <laughs> he he ducked back, but he got his revenge. He whooped up on some Alabama talent and did pretty well himself. And uh, Johnny, I think, went some rounds. So those guys obviously very talented and. It was a good time. A lot of people from a lot of places. Uh, good job by Brad. Struggled with uh, some weather challenges that we had down here, and folks got here anyway and had a good time. So hopefully next year some more people can make it out to it. It's, it's really fun. Yeah, we were actually headed down that way to, to spend a weekend in Alabama, not necessarily for the practice tree race, although I probably would have ended up there, and uh, <laughs> and we got turned around. Um, the, the roads were so bad in Nashville and south of there that uh, we didn't feel like spending six hours sitting still on I-65. We actually uh, <clears throat> got a little bit north of Nashville and turned around and came home, so to have... Um, 300 plus entries with that going on I mean I don't know how many people that cost them but it had to cost them some that's it's pretty impressive yeah no doubt it cost them some and uh, good good job by you getting or turning around and going home it it was really weird weather pattern it was um, you know in the Nashville area it was really bad those guys had a, a lot of stuff to deal with then you had a gap between uh, Huntsville and Birmingham that was good and then when Birmingham from Birmingham and slightly south of there was another icy road sleety stormy winter weather type deal so yeah and it's one thing to get a little bit of that weather here in illinois um while we don't get a lot of that we are prepared for it when it does that in tennessee and alabama it's a mess it is awful no <laughs> no salt right no, never prepared no equipment so you know we get made fun of uh, these rednecks don't know how to drive in ice and all that stuff and you know we don't we don't get many opportunities but um we we're certainly never prepared when it happens 
All right, let's take a second to uh, recognize some of the sponsors that make the podcast possible. Um, we'll start off talking a little bit about racing RVs. If you have listened to our podcast before, you have heard us talk about racing RVs. They have been a huge supporter of this podcast as well as my own personal race team. Now, you've heard us talk about the quality and the selection that they offer and how Joe Fisher, the owner, is a racer himself so he understands our needs. If you're in the market or are even considering a new or new to you coach, I want to encourage you to visit RacingRVs.com and check out their current selection. If you're looking for a truck conversion, I don't care what you're in the market for. If money isn't really a concern and you want the baddest unit on the highway, they have unbelievable brand new show hauler units or they can custom order the perfect truck for you. If you're more like me, um, they also have plenty of quality pre-owned conversions that start under a hundred thousand bucks. Um, racing RVs can help make your race car transportation dream a reality. Check them out at racingrvs.com or call them direct at 419-236-1328. And want to talk a little bit about uh, FlowFast. You know, it's a product that I use. And, you know, are you like me and you're sick of replacing those cheap plastic drum pumps that seem to leak and break every other week? You know, are you tired of wasting expensive fuel, overfilling your race car, or worse yet, dumping toxic fuel on your beautiful paint job? You know, stop all that. Get you a FlowFast pump. FlowFast hand crank pumps are fast, they're convenient, safe, and definitely effective. The most popular unit available through Luke Bogecki Motorsports will adapt to a 55-gallon drum and your existing 5-gallon race jug. These pumps flow 8 gallons per minute and are bi-directional, which means you can leave the pump atop your jug. Turn clockwise to fill your race car. When the jug is empty, you stick the hose down in your drum pump counterclockwise and you refill the jug. It is a very nice feature. You know, in addition, Luke carries complete flow fast systems, which include you know, the same pump plus a 15-gallon jug and a roll-around cart. This is what I use personally, and it makes transporting fuel and fueling big red very, very easy. You'll love it. I love it, and I recommend it. For more information, check out Luke Bogacki Motorsports page on Facebook. All right, folks, we have got some really cool topics and guests uh, on the horizon. I actually uh, spoke with uh, an individual today. I won't name him yet. I won't tease it quite that much, but a big, big uh, guest uh, that I'm really looking forward to talking to coming up here in a couple weeks, so stay tuned. But um, what we've actually got in mind for this week's episode is something a little bit different. Um, as you, those of you that have listened can uh, probably tell through our Allstate um, discussion and the, the bantering back and forth, we love interaction. So what we're going to do this week is invite you to interact via our Facebook page, the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, but in a little bit different way. Um, rather than um, debating or uh, sticking up for our teams in the Allstate, this is a little bit more personal. What we're asking, what our question is this week, is what is your most embarrassing moment at the racetrack okay what we encourage you guys to do think about that post it post your story your most embarrassing moment story on our facebook page again the sportsman drag racing podcast try to keep it pg okay because obviously anything that we talk about on the podcast we we try to be a family-oriented program here um And but the of all of the the people that post their most embarrassing stories on Facebook, we're gonna pick out the single one that we like the best, and we're gonna invite that listener to share it with us live on the podcast. This is your chance, I guess, to be on with Luke and Jed. Um, although it, uh, I don't know if that's really anything to aspire to to begin with. And I realize <laughs> that if you're sharing your most uh, embarrassing <laughs> racing story, it might not be the greatest of circumstances. But we. Uh, we're a good time like we promise you'll have fun with it so uh and we do get a message every now and then like my goal is to be on that show well here is your opportunity might not be the way you hope to get on here but uh uh, (laughs) we could definitely have some fun with that um so when we talked about this and we actually um just decided to go um down this road with the show in the last 
few hours. Um, so <laughs> without a whole lot of thought going into it, Jed, I, I'm curious, give, uh, give our listeners some fodder, some idea. What, uh, what comes to mind for you when we talk about your most embarrassing moment at the racetrack? Well, uh, Luke, I've had quite a few, my friend, and uh, some of them I was physically in the driver's seat, some of them I was in the stands, and some of them I might have been on the guardrail watching, but, um, you know, I think about things like my father, Bobby Joe Pennington, doing uh, his world-famous burnout at Super Chevy in 1991 at atlanta dragway that oh our a, listeners need to hear this story jed this is that, epic that's a story that uh <laughs> that i definitely want to tell but um i'm not sure that there's enough time left in this show so <laughs> i will we'll be talking about this again next week so i, I think i'm going to let the listeners hear that story next week that, that's a tease and, and those of you that have never heard this story don't know how big a tease that is you want to listen next week. This is this is good stuff. This is Jed's got some good stories, and, and he's an entertaining guy. This might be my favorite. And you know, along with uh, the story of the the Super Chevy ordeal, um, you know, my dad has run over the track dog before at a racetrack uh, coming out of the burnout box. I've so, heard that story too. That's a good one. That's, that's pretty rare for that to happen. Um, for you dog lovers out there, animal lovers, the dog did make it. It was a, it was pretty rough on him for a little while, but he did make it. Might tell that one in a future episode as well. But um, I think the way that I heard that story, Jed, because one of my like go-to lines for whatever reason, if if my car leaves and unloads, what I tell people it felt like <laughs> is it felt like I run over a dog. Yes. And I think I told you that one day, and he goes, "You, you know, that's happened." What? <laughs> yep, it has happened. And, uh, it was a pretty good story. Hopefully, we can get to that one somewhere in a future episode. Uh, and, you know, like I say, I've had tons of embarrassing moments, um, you know, whether it be when it was a really competitive situation and I got embarrassed or I did something stupid and got embarrassed. But, you know, I guess probably the one that comes to mind for me. And it's because it was on live feed and I was announcing the event. So, you know, for those of you... So you just got to own it at that point. Yeah, you know, <laughs> obviously most everybody listening here kind of knows my deal where I, I go to the get to go to the bigger events and where I'm very fortunate to get to announce and race. And it was a Super Bucks blast at uh, South Georgia a few years ago. And, you know, some people consider it an advantage that I get to sit in the tower and see what the racers are doing. Like I, I can record all that information in my brain and I know when I get out there to race my opponent, like exactly what they've been having on the tree and exactly what they should have run. Okay. None of that, none of that's possible. You can't do that. I don't have that kind of retention. And to me, I'm Ron Burgundy. I mean, I'm really, I'm just reading the screen. I really don't even know what I'm saying sometimes. However, this one time in particular, my opponent was somebody that I had been very familiar with. Um, what kind of trees he was having, what kind of runs he was making, how good his car was. And there's a reason for that that I'll get to shortly. But it's first round, and for some reason, I got the buy run. I, you know, I made a, made a good time trial or something. I don't know what I did, but... I got the buy run first round, so... Let's be honest, Jed, it was luck of the draw. Yeah, it must have been. <laughs> so, I get my... I make my buy run, and, you know, it's one of those deals where I'm trying to announce I'm going to be the last car down the track. I'm obviously in a door car, and I know that door cars are going to be called right back up. So, you know, I'm kind of wanting to make sure I get as much announcing as I can. I'm trying to do my job. So, I put my car off to the side of the lanes, and get up there and announce, announce as long as I can. Something happened where I didn't get an opportunity to go out, you know, with 20 or so cars left in the lanes to try to get my car ready. So I kind of rushed out there, jumped in the car. It's on alcohol. It's, you know, in the 50s. And uh, I don't know if I didn't get it warm enough or what happened. Uh, it was pretty rare that, that something like this happens to me. But I make my buy run, and I go seven above. 
you know, I can tell as soon as it leaves, it just no good. So, you know, now I, I know they're calling door cards. I got to get back around and, you know, I'm feeling fairly comfortable that I can take my strategy to the starting line. And if this thing's going to slow down like this, I can hold the numbers and saddle up against one of these door cars and reel them in. It shouldn't be, shouldn't be too big a deal. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm going into five, so it ain't like nothing's going to just blow by me. Well, unfortunately, the door cars were ready and there wasn't enough of them that it left me an opportunity to get off in the middle of the pack. So basically come right back around, I'm the last door car in line and I'm gonna get the first dragster. They're telling me, hey, you gonna get the dragster. Okay, no big deal, you know, I like I like whipping up on dragsters. So I'm fixing to be on the live feed and everybody's <laughs> watching, pulling for me. I'm fixing to, <laughs> There's a real me and a dragster. I'm going to hold me seven here just in case it picks it all back up. And uh, I'm going to show them how you drive. I'm going to teach them a lesson here. So when I get to the front of the line, the dragster that I've got is Danny Payne. Well, unfortunately for me, I was very familiar with Danny Payne throughout the weekend because he was dialed 412. I to say, it's probably the fastest car on the grounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was dialed 412. So the guys are dialed 482. Uh, I don't really know what you're running or what kind of lights you're having. Anybody dialed 412? I'm pretty familiar with what you're doing because it's, it's a you know something to talk about on the mic. Stands out from the crowd just a little bit. Yeah, just a little. And, and you know, every time I'm, you know, the tower in South Georgia's near the starting line. So every time it took off i peed a little because you know it's the thing just making all kind of racket and it's it's you know it's pretty mean it was i don't know if you heard me but it was dial 412 <laughs> so i'm like holy moly this is awful i mean i i'm i don't know if i'm holding seven holding any is it going to slow down seven more so i kind of wuss out a little and dial it up four because he's dialed for 12. The old split the difference theory. It was the split the difference, which is a terrible strategy. Either <laughs> just hold it all or just none of it. Leg it. You, you can't get in the middle. That's the one place you can't be, but I panicked. So I've already made my decision that, you know, Danny Payne has been probably no worse than 15, and this thing was going dead on like nobody's business. 412. So, 412. So... I get around there and he's dialed 413. So I'm like, well, I know this thing's been going like a 12, but maybe he's anticipating a slowdown or whatever. So I make my decision that I'm gonna dial it up four. And if my wind light doesn't come on when I hear that beast take off, I am, uh, I'm gonna just drive the wheels off this thing, try to do all I can. So I leave and I could tell immediately it picked the front end back up a little bit and I'm like, okay, well, it was the, the seven that I lost there was just a fluke and it's going four under. So I know I can kill four at the, the mile an hour cone if I bury it pretty hard. But, you know, I, I'm starting to think now, oh, oh God, I, I, I'm going under and you know, here, I'm, I'm going to hear this thing. I'm going to feel it. He's going to turn me around down here. So sure enough, it leaves and my wind light doesn't come on. So, you know, my strategy changed at that point to, all right, just watch him in the mirror and do the best you can at the finish line. He was way back. So I'm thinking now I looked in the mirror and I'm like, no, no. He's so far back that I can't really judge this because he's just going to blow up on me all of a sudden. It was 180 miles an hour. Right. I think he was going 177 or something like that, so 175, whatever it was. So I'm like, well, forget all that. Quit looking at him because you're not. it doesn't matter. Just go to your spot and bury it. doesn't matter what he's doing. Go to your spot and bury it. So I go to my spot, set it down beautiful killed my 400s that i needed to kill so i'm looking up waiting on my wind light and as i'm starting to process everything my wind light's not on and i'm three under 
So it picked up all my seven and got me some more to deal with. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And I'm I'm processing all this, yet there's he where is he? <laughs> you know, I'm <laughs> I, I'm starting to figure out why I lost and he hasn't come by me yet. And then <laughs> wide open. I mean wide WAO. And I'm like, oh my God. You've got to be kidding me. I just took a football field and had no idea what I was doing. Looked awful. I get around, get the ticket, and yes, I took, I don't remember what it was, Luke. It was four tenths or something like that. Might as well have been four seconds. Yeah. So I'm getting, I'm like, get the ticket. And I'm like, you know, maybe teen and go three under, get there forever. He's like three something on the tree and one above. I'm like, Danny Payne has been wrecking this thing every time he goes down the racetrack. And I I set up for that and make my run. And, you know, I'm getting back and everybody just wearing me out on the live feed, you know. Uh, hide the sharp objects. Uh, Jed needs a friend. Just give him a hug. All the bull crap that I say about... <laughs> <laughs> when they do that stupid stuff and I'm you know I'm trying to announce my way through it and the driver of the car which shall remain nameless because you know he, he didn't make a good run comes up to the tower tells me how sorry he is about that it wasn't Danny Payne so I'm like what what happened here well this driver got in the car first round after breaking his didn't make a good run then. I'm sure you couldn't have shoved a toothpick up his butt. He was dial 412, so I'm sure there was a lot of things going on in that cockpit. By the way, how do you loan somebody a daggum <laughs> that's, that's, that's a better question, yeah. In 50-degree air. Like, yeah, just jump in mine, man. It's, it's killer. <laughs> so the driver comes up, tells me how sorry he is, and he's like, man, I, he said, I don't even know how I'm getting it down the track. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So lesson there is everything I was accused of about knowing what the drivers are dialed and what they're running and what their reaction times are. Well, that's never been true until now. And it bit me right square in the butt. And it was about as embarrassed as I've been on the racetrack when I should have done better. All right, question. Now, again, just trying to quantify this. Obviously, the mat matters are made worse here by the mm -hmm. technology and social age, right? Oh, so yeah. what, what's worse, having to come back from that run and face all of those listeners on the live feed or getting up this morning and having to listen to Auburn fans? <laughs> by far, by far the the live feed did <laughs> by far because you know as much as people like to razz me when Alabama doesn't play well or they lose I wasn't in the game I, you know you you can give me a hard time all you want but I didn't play nobody beat me this I was very in the game and <laughs> it's embarrassing when you consider yourself pretty competitive and a guy capable of uh, you know, competing on a high level with the best racers out there, and you do something like that. It was it was pretty bad, and the listeners, they let me hear it, and I don't blame them. They should have, because I'm, I'm one that's quick to get on people a little bit myself. No, no. <laughs> it's funny. You say they could, I, I think back, Nick Folk had a great line, and this was back years ago before... Uh, the live feed deal really got going and you know at the time you could only really see round by round results from the NHRA races you know like uh, Drag Race Central and yep. uh, Nick did some something stupid or maybe I did something stupid whatever the case was you know at a national event where the, the whole world could see exactly the numbers and see just how badly we screwed up and uh, and Nick said uh, they need to give us like two mulligans a year. I'm trying to do my next Nick 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 Folk voice. I'm like mulligan. Yeah yeah. I don't care about losing. Just when they hand you that time slip, go. I don't want that one on the internet. <laughs> Boy, that would be handy. That would be real nice. If you could pick and choose those. 
it was it was really you know the the live feed and all that as invested as I am in that with the listeners and how I interact with them it was all in good fun but man it sucks when you when you do something that you pick at and make fun of and you just follow it up with something just like it or worse actually nobody was anywhere near that bad there that weekend i was i was the absolute worst so well, pretty you know, rough Jared, time you don't have to lift if you know you're going dead on <laughs> that's what i've heard <laughs> i've heard if you can't go under there's no point in lifting because you get your ticket faster if you don't lift and you get to see what you did good well i got my ticket and it did not look good at all uh i've been trying to come up with this on the fly like a most embarrassing moment and I, I everything i keep coming up with is a little bit unconventional because i've had the good fortune at least to this point like I, i've never done a burnout in reverse and i have not i had not staged with the back <laughs> tires you know what i mean like i hadn't done anything that just the whole racetrack oh look at this idiot you know what i mean <laughs> that i can think of at least um yeah. That's, uh, the, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, like, I've crashed. And it's one thing, like, uh, crashing is, is, uh, is, is scary, and, uh, and there's a whole lot more to it than, than like, emotion. I mean, you're worried about what all you've tore up. But the way that I specifically crashed was just embarrassing. Like, it was stupid. <laughs> it was uh, driving the finish line way too aggressively, locking up the brakes, hitting the wall. Didn't really tear up much on my race car. Um, just, and really, at the time, that didn't probably wasn't as embarrassed about it as i am today like i was 18 and just thought well that's what you do or you know somewhere oh, yeah. around that age you know i was just, just super aggressive at the finish line and actually wasn't even dropping somebody i was catching a drop um but it, as you get a little bit more experience under your belt you realize that there's just no need for that so that comes to mind um the one and this really just come up because you were talking about south georgia and i don't know if this really applies as embarrassing because like most people would see the run and not be embarrassed for me but i was embarrassed slash really ticked off um I'll try to keep this as brief as I can. Back um, years ago when the, the Drag Race Results Series was like a, a touring bracket series, kind of following the format that George Howard had set with the V&M Series, I was uh, in the middle of the no-box points battle with Phil Combs. And uh, it was really that year was like the first time that I had met Phil. And in the years since, I have come to really appreciate Phil Combs and respect Phil Combs. We get along great. Like, he's, he's a pretty funny guy when you get right down to it. Yes, he's great. When we first met, I did not like Phil Combs, okay? Phil Combs ran his mouth. I thought that he, I thought that his impression of himself was much better than how good a racer I felt like he was, and he just rubbed me the wrong way, and he won a lot. So that really ticked me off because I didn't think he was as good as he thought he was, and he kept proving that he was. So that probably got under my skin as much as anything. Well, we had, and his like the the talk, the chatter was just nonstop. Like he just wanted to keep telling me and keep telling me how good he was, and I was sick of it. Well, we uh, <laughs> we the this race at South Georgia, like it rained or they hit curfew or something with you know, fifteen twenty cars left. And so we're finishing it early the next morning. And I was still in both classes, so I'm kind of running around quick. Won a couple rounds, and I, I think we're down to like six cars in no box. And I round the corner as the other five are already up there because I had just run in Super Pro. And I pull up there, and, and I can see as I'm pulling in the lanes, my options are to flip for lanes with Joe Blow or hold my lane and I'm going to run Phil. And I, thought, and I had just been on, like wrecking it, didn't care who was in the other lane, didn't really like Phil to begin with. I'm pulling up here. That's, that's my lane. I'm running my lane. So I pull up there. Phil was strapped in, I think, hops out of his truck and comes over there to tell me how bad I screwed up by pulling into that lane and realizing that now we've got to run because that's the way that he operated you know what i mean and at oh, that yeah. point i'll be completely honest like he probably did get under my skin you know oh, sure. uh, much more than it would today because anymore i just don't really care but <laughs> at the time i thought this idiot and and i'm and i'm listening to it and I, and it just like i'm never one i never say much of anything specifically like i'm not a trash talker by no means but i had heard enough and I just looked him dead in the eye and told him because I had been like we'd made two or three runs that morning and I had been double O every hit off the bottom and just felt I felt like I was going to win the whole race probably win both classes like I can't yep. be beat and I, I listened to it for about 30 seconds and I looked him right in the eye I said Phil listen 
when you leave the starting line, look up at your scoreboard. And if that wind light ain't on, don't worry about it. It ain't coming on. And he got real quiet, and I said, if I turn it green, you're going to lose. And he walked off and got in his truck. So I rolled up there, and I thought, you know, it's about that time where it kind of hits you like normally, like, I better back this up, or I'm going to kind of, you know, really show my butt here. I let go. I think it was trans brake bottom up, or maybe I'm foot brake. Whatever. I leave the starting line and think, oh, it turned green. He can't win. And I roll down there, roll on him, roll him through. Oh, I did a good job. And I look up, and his wind light's on. And I got the. T- I wanted to drive off the end of the racetrack. Is how upset <laughs> I was. But I get the ticket. I'm like 006 take five. And Phil comes oh. whoop my butt after telling me that he was gonna whoop my butt. Oh. Yeah. And I don't. Uh, like I said, I don't know if that quantifies as embarrassing, but I was embarrassed, and I was mad. So, as it ended up, Phil Combs won the points championship that year. Phil Combs is a really good racer, and I really, like I say now, I really like Phil Combs. But, uh, but yeah, that uh, ooh, that one didn't sit well with me. And it was all my own doing. If I just shut up and race, maybe I make the same run. He probably makes the same run. The result's probably not any different, but I don't feel like near as much of a retard. So, <laughs> a gas bag, as you like yeah, to say. Yeah, gas bag. That's a better word. And a retard's not a, not a politically correct thing. I'm, I'm sorry. So, but, yeah, yeah I, that... Phil- uh, Phil's probably not used to people telling him that, that he's about to lose. Uh, Phil's, <laughs> Phil's turned on a lot of wind lights in his time. But that, that sounds uh, a lot like those Adam Davis stories that we were telling. Um, you, you, you telling him if his wind light doesn't come on, it, it's not coming on. And when you tell somebody that and it don't happen, that does have to feel pretty rough. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I wouldn't recommend it. I don't believe I've tried it since. So. <laughs> well, Phil, Phil just calmed you right on down, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, I learned my lesson. I guess you could say that. So, but uh, no, and beyond that, I, the one that I had pinpointed before you started talking was was getting thrown out of Stock Eliminator at Brainerd uh, years ago. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> which was just an awful scenario in general. But I, I, I think more... It, it was kind of devastating at the time, more so than embarrassing, because I was like 20 hours from home and I didn't get to stage for first round. And worse yet, I didn't get stage first round in my buddy's car that he let me take 20 hours away. <laughs> um, so yeah, that call was interesting. My, my buddy Brian Robinson, hey Brian, uh, yeah, we're, we're we're out. Oh man, what happened? I didn't realize they run first round yet. Yeah, they uh, they they haven't. Uh, yeah, so but uh, but n- n- in. The days uh, immediately after were very embarrassing because it really uh, blew up online and you would have thought that that they caught me with the delay box in Stock Eliminator instead of... This is a a long and ridiculous story, but what I did um, was I wrote... What it boils down to is I wrote the wrong year model on my tech card, which is a dumb mistake particularly in stock eliminator when you're driving a particular year car that has to have a particular combination um but anyway that's what happened and um so obviously someone or i would assume someone blew the whistle on me and said you know they didn't offer a aluminum head 396 in uh, 1970 so what's he got <laughs> so they i hear i had just won first round of and uh, we had, you know, finished qualifying in Stock Eliminator, was waiting to run first round of stock, and I hear that I'm called to the tech trailer, and I thought, that's weird. What the heck do they want to talk to me for at the tech trailer? So I ride over there, and uh, I walk in, and, and the tech guy is, uh, he's like, man, I'm just struggling a little bit, and he's got the, if you've ever run stock or super stock, you're probably familiar with the, the NHRA guides, like it's a, I don't know, oh, yeah. several probably 100 page document on online now that basically outlines every year model car and the combinations that they came with and he's got 1970 pulled up and he's like i'm struggling to find your combination here i'm like well it's that you know and i don't know a thing really i mean i know what i'm supposed to have or obviously i didn't but regardless <laughs> i you know I, I know very very little about the rules in general and my probably less about my combination but i'm like i got that 375 horse 396 like same thing i've had for two years yeah i'm not i'm not seeing that here you could run a, a 402 in uh 
1970, but it, it's not a double-A combination, and you're entered in double-A. I'm like, well, I and he flips over, and he says, in 1969, you could have that. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's me. That's what I got, 69. Well, you're entered as a 70. I go, yeah, well, I just screwed up. I got a 69. Well, and he explains to me that that's a problem, and you can't do that. And at this point, since qualifying's over, you can't reclassify. So I'm still thinking, like, okay, this ain't that big deal. You know what I mean? Like, what am I at the bottom of the ladder? Or, you know, no, no, you're you're out. You you can't race. <laughs> like, you kidding me, right? I'm I'm 20 hours from home. Like, I I have a legal combination. Why why can't I race? But well, you you can't you can't do that. So still to this day, I don't feel like the punishment fit the crime. But at the same time, like it was a boneheaded mistake, and it was my mistake. Like I wrote the wrong freaking year model on the tech card. I don't think that should have eliminated me from competition, but it did, um, and obviously I had to live with that, and I had to call the, the, my, my buddy, my car owner, and tell him that I was in Brainerd, Minnesota, and was not going to get to stage for first round, um, and then hightail it on home, but then, like I say, when the, when, the, when the story broke out on the internet, my God, you'd think I had a, a nitrous-assisted 632 in oh, there, yeah. so I had to, uh, to try to defend myself, and in, and in defending myself, it completely explain how completely ignorant I am about the way the whole thing works. So yeah, um, that was not a good situation. And just like the weekend in general was awful because I I come back around from that mishap and I'm like, well, I I'm just I'm gonna show these guys I'm gonna win super comp. And I pull up for second round of super comp and I've got some door car that doesn't I think have a throttle stop. I'm like, well, okay, this is fine. I can handle this. And it's kind of like that Phil Combs thing again, except I didn't tell the guy I was going to kick his butt. I was double <laughs> O something, take double O something. My wind light didn't come on. And like the next round, the guys won something on the tree and 904 oh. wide open. So <laughs> I load up. I cannot leave Brainerd, Minnesota fast enough, right? I am mad at the world. And uh, get loaded up and get out of there and get on the road. And just all I want, I was dating Jessica at the time. I still lived in Alabama. And all I can think of, get me to Illinois as quick as possible. Get We'll get on a lake. Something like this weekend didn't happen. And I get to somewhere, Wisconsin, like 1 o'clock that morning. And the uh, the idler pulley on my truck breaks. Serpentine belt flies off. No. So <laughs> I, I limp into a truck stop. This was actually the trip. If you, For those of you that read my on the road column, I made a 26 mile round trip on my moped to uh, <laughs> to get the parts that I needed to get my truck fixed up. And, and somewhere in uh, nowhere, Wisconsin, the one town that I could drive to, I uh, I found a, a Napa. What's, Napa stores are funny things because it's one thing to have like a Napa and it's another thing to be a Napa distributor. So I ride up to this shack on my moped that has a little bitty Napa sign hanging off of it. And I'm like, okay, this is the place. And this is Saturday morning now in nowhere, Wisconsin. And I walk <laughs> into this place, dirt floor, and uh, and there's a counter. And I hear the guy in the back, I'll be right up. Okay. Well, I look on the counter, there's two sets of business cards. And I don't remember the man's name. Let's say it's Bill King, right? Bill King, Napa. Go oh, cool. I look over at the other business card, Bill King, Mayor. <laughs> that's where I was at. Bill King didn't have what I needed. That's why I had to go to the Ford dealership on the other side of the interstate. That's that's what made the 26-mile round trip. But regardless, yeah, that's uh, that was my weekend in Brainerd. It's one that I will not soon forget. Yeah, I remember that well. <laughs> and you know, and and just like you said, it's like you got caught with nitrous or something crazy. <laughs> I mean, people were making it out to be this, you know, vicious uh, attempt by you to to break the rules and i mean come on people that was ridiculous my biggest was, crime was that i was a bracket racer trying to run stock eliminator <laughs> that was your biggest crime uh, those are pretty embarrassing moments and uh that was uh some good stories and some stuff i remember and stuff i didn't know about so that was cool for me to get to listen hopefully everybody else enjoyed but what we want to see is or hear about or or some of the listener stories I mean, we, we want to get them to share their stories as well. Yeah, and imagine you guys, I would I would rest assured that there is a story out there that will trump anything we just talked about. Because I don't, I don't know, like, those are embarrassing, I guess, but I, I'm telling you, I've seen worse. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've heard some stories that you've seen that are really funny, embarrassing, cool, whatever. But, um, you know, first we want everybody to, to share their stories with us. Just like you said, we want them to go to, to the sportsman drag racing podcast, uh, fan page on Facebook 
and share your embarrassing moments with us. Um, but, you know, keep in mind, you need to be somewhat of a decent storyteller because you have to condense it somewhat and you need to have a, a we're not good at finish. that we're not good examples of that <laughs> <laughs> you, you know don't don't just tell us hey yeah one time i broke out by 15 and beat a guy to the finish line by half track you know tell the story tell us tell us a little bit more and and help us see the embarrassment in it so you know try to make yourself as good a st- storyteller as you can while typing it online and Go to our uh, fan book, our fan page on Facebook, and and share that with us. Yeah, exactly. Post that over the course of the next week or so, and like I say, we'll pick out at least one uh, fantastic story and uh, and ask that storyteller to share it with the masses here on the, the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Uh, before we wrap up today's episode, I just want to say a quick word for this is bracket racing, listeners. Do you want to improve your reaction times quickly and on the cheap? I've got the answer. For a limited time at This Is Bracket Racing, we are offering a free 30-minute guide to better reaction times. You can get the package in one of two ways. Number one, you can join the Off-Season Practice Tree Challenge on Facebook that we talked about last week. It's free as well. And just click the link atop that page. It'll be up um, by the time you could hear this podcast. Or number two, just visit thisisbracketracing.com and click the link on the right side of the homepage. Again, um, free 30-minute guide to better reaction times. It includes a couple of videos, a written training. Um, I, I think it can make a slight difference in, in your racing program and, and maybe um, give you a little bit different perspective on things. Absolutely, folks. Be sure to join in with that. Um, you know, it's obvious Luke's very passionate about the things he's involved in, and this will be no different. So join up there and, uh, and be part of that deal and, and help make yourself a little bit better prepared when you go to the racetrack. Uh, you, you'll definitely get some benefit out of it. Uh, you know, that wraps, wraps up Episode 8. You know, we'll definitely want to thank our sponsors. Uh, these are the folks that bring our podcast to you every week. Racing RVs, This Is Bracket Racing, and uh, Flowfast. Yeah, and as you guys know, we plan to release a new podcast every week of the calendar year, so stay tuned. We'll have plenty more going forward. We've kind of uh, gotten into a routine now. We record these Tuesday evening, typically uh, get them out to our audience on uh, Wednesday. So look for these at your phone on Wednesday. And to get that new episode before your friends do, be sure to subscribe to uh, the podcast, the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, wherever it is that you find your favorite podcast. We're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on Google Play, so you can find us anywhere and make sure you subscribe. And definitely if you like what you hear, and, and we hope you do, rate and review the podcast. Uh, that's how we move up in the rankings so more people can find us. And, you know, certainly if you don't like what you hear, let us know how we can deliver a better show. Yeah, and finally, like we talked about before with this uh, most embarrassing moment uh, deal that we've got going, be sure to join the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast fan page on Facebook to interact and become part of the conversation. Again, we will take our favorite story of, of pure embarrassment, and, uh, and we will highlight it on the show next week. That's right. Uh, share your most embarrassing drag racing moment with us on the Facebook page. And, um, you know, I, I would say be prepared to come on the show and tell the story if your story's good. So if you're going to post it, be ready. We may call on you. you know, whoever we think has the best story will get a chance to tell it to the world on uh, the podcast next week. Yeah, I don't know what to expect here, Jed. We could, we could have 50 of these stories and we could have like two. <laughs> I don't know how comfortable people are going to be telling uh, telling their their biggest uh, hiccup here. Well, I think um, you know Luke not blowing smoke, but you're you're a highly accomplished, a very successful guy that's uh, at the pinnacle of our sport, and you shared your story, so it can happen to everybody, and it does. So just tell us your story; we'd love to hear it. This is way alive. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it. I am already winning in for breaking in anything. Bottom ball before a 10. I'm rolling in the cutty, switching feet like Jerry Pennington. I was in my truck just to try my luck. Spending money that I don't have. Still can't get enough. We working nine and nine. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. 
Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect. Led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100 plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elitist for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.